called It Takes a Church. Um, Natalie Grant, who used to attend Strong Tower Bible Church many, many years ago, um, is the host of a show that is uh, kind of a takeoff of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, where they use a church to find a mate or someone to date. Uh, they call up a single gal, and then they have all these candidates in the church for the lady to go out with. So I turned that down. Uh, I said, no, Strong Tower won't, won't do that show. Um, but we do need the church. It takes a church in the children's ministry. Always has, always will. And I know that you will respond to that call. I, I don't know anyone that's ever worked with children um, that has regretted doing so. Everyone that's ever worked with our children, uh, they end up getting a pleasant surprise. And so there are many, many surprises that God has for you as all of us participate in working with the children's ministry. I have a couple of announcements for you, and then we're going to hear from one of our missionaries. We're going to take our offering, and you'll have an opportunity to put the yellow card in the basket when it comes by. So take a moment uh, to look over that for children's ministry, but also for something else I'm going to say to you. Next Sunday, August 3rd, I'm going to preach a message entitled Kryptonite. So you don't want to miss that next week. Do we have the slides for that? They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. All right, next Sunday, Kryptonite. You don't want to miss that. And then on Tuesday, August 5th, um, I want to spend some time with the men in our church. Football season is back. Football season is back. Can the brothers say Amen. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I know you're happy. Football season is back. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time tightening things up. Uh, we're going to tighten up for four weeks in August in the morning from 6 to 7.15. Any men of God who really want to tighten up in the area of sexual purity come out because we're going to tackle sexual impurity. We're going to get together. There'll be some teaching from myself and other guests that I've invited. We're going to huddle up into small groups as men, and then we're going to work through some questions together, ultimately building relationships like we're learning about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we may be able to stand today with all of the vices and temptations that surround us. So guys, uh, we're going to have a good time with this. Um, there are going to be things that I will say in that context that I could never say in this context. We are going to keep it real as men of God. Um, we are at different places in this area of purity. Um, I invite everyone to come on out because we all need Jesus. We all need one another, and we all need the grace that he provides to keep us pure in this world. So register online. Uh, there'll be light breakfast served, 6 to 7.15. You can get out and get to work, do whatever you have to do. But come join me on those Tuesday mornings, four of them. Make a point to be there. Even if you are, quote, unquote, struggling, you need to come on out because let a man who thinks he's standing take heed lest he fall. You really need to be there if you don't think you need to be. You don't need to be there. You really need to be there. And then on Wednesday night, August 6th, we're having our final summer fellowship, food fellowship and art so bring out your art, uh, your paintings, your drawings, your photography. 
bring your art out. We're going to display it in the fellowship hall. Um, you can even buy the art, if you like, from the patrons who will be there putting their art up. But this is not an art show. So if you're a professional, don't try to bring 20 pieces of art up in here so you can pay your mortgage. Uh, that's, that's not what this is. Primarily, we want to see the children participate and people that you didn't know were artists to participate I'm going to put some stuff in there. Pastor John is an artiste himself. He's going to put some stuff in there. So, uh, and if some of it is really good, we may hang it in the church for about three hours. We're going to hang it if it's really good. No, no, no. We're going to, we're going to display it a little longer than that. We'll also eat that night. We, we have uh, a lot of food in the freezer that we need to use. Um, so we need you also to register online so we know how much to prepare for you, okay? Um, and Tanya, are we charging for this? We are charging five bucks uh, per person or per family. Five per person, 20 per family. All right, and if you say, Pastor, I just don't have it, uh, uh, just let us know. Come anyway, come anyway, all right? But we need to know. It helps us so that we don't over-prepare and waste the Lord's food. Uh, neither do we under-prepare and have a chance for a fight to break out amongst God's people. So, so let us know. You, you got to register, all right? Uh, that's coming up on August 6th. And then on August the 8th, uh, we have Parents' Night Out for Haiti. Uh, we have a team going to Haiti that I'm a part of, my wife is a part of, uh, in October, and we're trying to raise money in different ways. We're trying to come up with creative ways to raise money to help defray the costs with this mission strip. So from 5 to 9 p.m. for four hours, you can drop your children off here at the church, uh, $20 for the first child. If you have additional children, it's $10 for each child. They will be fed and there'll be games and all kind of stuff for them while they are here. So please, if you need a date night, you haven't been able to take one in a minute, the church is trying to help you out with that as you help us out with getting into Haiti. Amen. And then finally, on Sunday, August the 10th, we're going to have an old-fashioned baptism and testimony service. Um, there are young people, teenagers, who have said that they want to rededicate their lives to Jesus, and as such, they want to be rebaptized. We have people who have been converted who are being baptized for the first time. And so, again, if you are interested in baptism and you are a believer in Jesus, you know the Lord for yourself, then again, fill out this card. Email us at the office, get online, let us know so we can prepare for you. We've got probably 15 or 20 baptism robes, uh, but man, if we get 40 people that show up, we'll just rotate them, turn them inside out, let the next person put them on. We'll handle business, all right? And it'll be an awesome time. I've talked to uh, two men in particular that I'm asking to share their testimony about deliverance from drug abuse. Um, and deliverance from the penal system and how the Lord has been strong in their lives just encourages that God is still a deliverer. He's still a way maker. He can still keep, he can still change a life, especially as our students go back to school. They need to hear not only from one another, and I'm going to open up the mic, and I hope there'll be students and teenagers that'll testify, but also from adults who know about God's power to save, heal, keep, and deliver. We're going to testify. The Bible says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of our testimony. So we're going to have testimony service. Now, I will tell you, um, we're not asking you to preach that day because some of us still don't know how to testify. Some of us get up and time is of no essence when we get this microphone. 
So you need to work on your testimony because I will cut you off in the name of Jesus. I'll do it very politely. But if you get up in here, man, and you start talking about, well, back in 1941, I'm going to cut you off. All right. And then 10 minutes later, and in 1942, no, 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 no. We got to keep going. All right. So, all right. So teenagers, uh, you met with Stephanie this past week. She found out how many of you want to be baptized. She'll do that again this Wednesday for those who come out. Also, again, the yellow card, get online, let us know. A lot of good stuff is happening, man. And then come September, our morning Christian education classes are going to begin where we're going to have what we call Sunday school from 9 to 1010, then the worship service beginning at 1030, beginning in the first Sunday in September. We've got a host of classes, many teachers, ways that we can grow. As my wife mentioned, in reach, making disciples, equipping the saints, uh, getting into the word of God, fellowship. And then we also have great opportunities for outreach as we get back into J.T. Moore Middle School as the school year starts. And with the clothes closet and the food pantry, just trying to be a light for Jesus, meeting needs, building the kingdom of God one person at a time. Amen. Anybody still excited to be a Christian? Anybody still excited to know Jesus Christ? I know I am. I know I am. He didn't have to save me, but I'm so glad that he did. And not only that, he called me into the ministry where I get to serve his people. Um, God is a good God. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And right now, um, as the ushers come, we're going to pray for the offering. And as we receive the offering, we are coming to the end of our fiscal year. For Strong Tower Bible Church, our fiscal year ends in August. And the new year begins in the first Sunday in September. So that's how we do our fiscal year. Uh, in September, we'll also celebrate our 19th anniversary. So the new year begins for Strong Tower in September. And this year, we started off setting a budget for this fiscal year for $1,141,000. And I'm here to say that we are on pace uh, with just, uh, this is, uh, let's see here, we got five Sundays left. We are on pace to not only meet that budget, but also to see God provide 12 basketfuls from the fishes and the loaves, because that's what he does every year at this church. We set the budget. We make cuts where we need to make cuts. We are frugal, but God just lavishes on us through your obedience, through your generosity, and we just want to say thank you. And so in one of the ways that we use God's money in this church is to support missionaries locally, nationally, and internationally. At least 10% of our operating budget, which would be 141,000, goes into missions endeavors, specific missions endeavors. So after I pray, I'm going to invite one of our missionaries to come up and let us know what God is doing globally. Because he's not only at work in Nashville and in the United States, but he's at work in Africa, in Kenya, in Ghana. He's at work in Haiti. He's a global God. So we need this testimony just to remind us that God is everywhere and he is at work and his people are everywhere. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the obedience of your people. Thank you for their generosity. Lord, I pray that we would have a revival, all right. I pray that it would be a revival of serving. I pray that those 50 volunteers that Ebony needs, that, Lord, we'll have 60. I pray, Lord God, that as we give our offering to you, that we would go far and beyond 10%, that we would give cheerfully, that we would give sacrificially, that we would give knowing, Lord God, that you're doing a great work, you will do a great work, and, Lord, you may even give back to us as a result of giving. 
So bless us. May we test you in this and see your faithfulness, Lord. We've been young and now we're old and we have never, ever, 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 ever seen your righteous forsaken or the seed begging bread. So thank you for these promises in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So give cheerfully. If your card is ready, you may place it in the basket. If not, we'll take it after service. And so I'm going to ask my friend Larry Warren to come now and take a few moments just to share with you what God is doing in Nairobi, Kenya. Y'all give Larry a hand as he comes. Pretty sprightly there, my brother. Thank you. I was trying to decide whether to take those steps over there or because I'm getting kind of old. I don't want sure I can make that step, you know. Good morning, Strong Tower. I'm one of those fellows that uh, Chris said he might have to take the microphone from. But Chris, I'll tell you, I've been working out, so we'll see if you can take it from me or not. Uh, I got all these books here I'm going to read to you this morning. No, I don't. I'm going to go quick, but I will say that the Africans say you... Americans, you have all got watches, but we Africans, we got the time. <laughs> and it's time to tell you some about what's going on, not just in Africa, but around the world. Uh, Pastor actually mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, he said he saw me in the congregation, he said, I'm going to ask Larry Warren to preach before he leaves, and he did. He kept his word, and I said no. <laughs> and so he said, I'm just going to give you 10 minutes come on up and share. Now, I said no, and I didn't tell him why, and it's because I got too much to say. I got too much to say for 10 minutes. I got too much to say for an hour. I got too much to say for five hours. So I'm going to just give you what I can in a short period of time. Maybe next year, I'll share a little bit more. I want to thank you first, and then I'm going to give you a quick ministry report, and then I'm going to give you a challenge. First thing I want to do is thank you for supporting our family. Uh, you support us financially, and uh, that's a big thing. You know, it's interesting that you give 10% of your, your um, budget to missions. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it, said, it says, Give that there might be equality among the believers. That, that scripture used to bother me. I thought that equality... Among the believers, what does that mean? Is that communism? Everybody ought to have the same thing? Well, I think what it means is that in God's economy, for 10% or less of what we spend on almost anything here, a teacher's salary, going to the doctor, a house, you can meet an equal need for a greater number of people in the two-thirds world. Think about it. So just by giving 10% to missions, you can give toward equality among the believers because we want the same thing. Everybody around the world wants the same thing. We want a good place to live. We want a job. We want a good education for our kids. We want access to health care. And by just giving 10% of what we bring in here to the Lord's house, we can do that, what he says. So thank you for supporting us. My family's here. Raise your hand. This is Joshua right here. And uh, he's in college, this is Paul over here, and he's number two, he's number three, number four is Johnny, and, and, and number one, really, is my wife right here. This is uh, Queen Mary, and uh, she's the mother of four sons in Africa. We say, uh, 
I'm, I love Lord, the Lord Jesus. He's my Savior, and I'm the husband of one wife. You have to make that clear because uh, polygamy is common there, especially in the Muslim community. So to get right to the point today, because I don't have much time, uh, today is the last day of Ramadan. You know what Ramadan is? It's the holy month for the Muslims. So for the last 30 days, they have been fasting and praying. Now they eat at night. Some of them eat more during Ramadan than they do the rest of the year because they don't eat all day, but boy, when it gets dark, they start eating. And I want to challenge you today to build a relationship with someone of another faith. Someone in this city of another faith. You don't have to go to another country to be a missionary. You know, we are all, you either a missionary or you are a mission field. Now, I don't know which one you are. It's like my daddy used to say when I said I'm thinking about going into full-time Christian work. He said, I didn't know there was any part-time work available. So that's my challenge. Find somebody of a different faith. Not just somebody who doesn't know what they believe. You know, right here in the United States, only 1% of the people in the United States are Muslims. But did you know that worldwide, 23% of the people in the world are Muslims? Now, there's a table back here outside these doors here. And if you want to get on our mailing list, if you sign up today, two things are going to happen. First is I'm going to send you an email that's got a website with this little book on it, it's more than you ever wanted to know about Islam. Let's see if I can find it. It's called 30 Days of Prayer. That's what Ramadan is. They've just been through 30 days of prayer. You may not know that in the Muslim tradition, we're only in the year 1500 because they go on a 350-day calendar. And Ramadan every year is 11 days earlier than it was the year before. Now, that's probably more detail than you want to know. But you might want to know, what are the five pillars of Islam? There's some people in my city that wish they had known that because in Nairobi, Kenya, where we live, a shopping mall that Johnny was on the way to meet some friends to, at last October, uh, five Al-Shabaab terrorists came in and took over that mall and killed 200 people in the next four days. And because they were so well prepared and they had food and they had ammunition, they'd go around and see who's a Muslim, see who's a Christian. And they'd ask people, do you know the five pillars of Islam? And if they didn't know them, they killed them. Now I'm getting right to my last point. I experience culture shock every time I come home. I come to Nashville, Tennessee. That's why I didn't want to preach. I thought I'm going to get upset or I'm going to get mad. And some of us, because I'm getting tempted. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me and my family. First, pray that we'll be safe. We, my wife and Johnny are going back to Nairobi in two weeks. And they've just, they've, there's a curfew in Kenya. You've got to be in at 6.30 at night, and you can't go out before 6.30 in the morning because of the violence. And it's Muslims against Christians. Pray for me, not, not so much about safety, but that I don't yield to temptation. And I'm glad you got a meeting coming up about men struggling with sex. There's sexaholics, there's workaholics, there's every kind of holics. I'm afraid I'm going to relax.
too much. Because when I come back to this country, I see a peacetime mentality. And folks, we're not at peace. We're at war. There's a spiritual war going on out there. Some of you have noticed it in your own lives. Some of you noticed it in your families. But I'm telling you, when you look worldwide, we're in a war. Now, I'm old enough to retire based on the laws of this country. You know, I might even start getting a little money I've been putting away. And I'm tempted to do it because I could come here and chillax next year at 62, and everybody still think that's all right. That's what the world says. The apostle said, Paul said in Romans 12, 1, be not conformed to this world. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as the pastor said, it takes a whole church. I need to be reminded of that. I needed to confess that this morning. I didn't want to. It says in Mark chapter 10 that if you leave your children and your parents and your lands and your houses for my sake in the kingdom, then you'll get a hundredfold in this life those things. Well, it's true. I've gotten that. But I'm tired of leaving. I don't want more kids. I want to be of the mind. I'm ready to quote, and I'm going to tell you a couple quick stories. I'm kind of weak here now, Pastor, so you could probably take his microphone right now if you want to. I was feeling strong when I got here. When I was younger, I didn't want anybody to see my weakness. But thank God. It's in our weakness that he's strong. And his, he, is, he is strong in his presence. Has done so much through us and in our family and in our ministry. Far beyond any talents that we have. And you're part of that. There are more than 50,000 church leaders that have been trained in the last 20 years through our ministry. It's the largest in-class pastor training program in the continent. And I barely got out of Bible college. That's the power of God. We met two young boys when they were eight years old in a slum in Nairobi that Chris has been to called Kabira. They were picking food out of the garbage. We told them they could come to school. He's right. You start hanging out with kids, you're going to start hearing about the kingdom. That's my favorite chapter in the Bible, Mark 10. The same one says to leave your children and your family. It also says at the beginning of chapter 10, 
Jesus was hanging out with the kids. And the disciples didn't like it. He said, unless you become like one of these, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. And how does a ch child follow? He just wants to be with his daddy, right? He just wants to be with his mama, be with his parents, and that's what we need to do. Now, these two boys we met, Vincent and Evans, are brothers, and I'll just give you the short story. We started paying their school fees, and we told them they didn't have to steal food. We found them stealing food from the school, even when they started going to school, taking it home because they knew they weren't going to get anything else in the next day. Well, Evans now has, we've supported him. You've supported him. People that are in ministry with us have supported him. He's not only finished college, but he just got a full ride to TCU for graduate school. Now, that's not... <clears throat> he, he just wrote me, he's not at uh, uh, Texas Christian University. He's at Tokyo Christian University. And he said he loves it here because he's kind of a small African. He said, I'm the tallest guy in my class <laughs> in Tokyo. And his brother Vincent <clears throat> finished first out of all the million people in Kibera in high school, made the highest grades on his test, and he didn't have any money to go to school, to go to college. But thank the Lord, he's a pretty good soccer player. And he got a full ride as a striker for Kenyatta University. And then he lived, he joined our ministry, and he lived with 20 other kids that came off the streets when we gave him uh, an opportunity to go to high school. He chose that job because he said, I understand these boys. I grew up like them. And now he's got his master's degree in education, and he's working for uh, the education department. I could go on with stories about Harriet and Humphrey and, and, and Linda, and, and next year I will. If you'll just sign up and get on our mailing list, you'll get some testimonies of these children. And I want to thank some people in this church because uh, we're looking for creative ways to raise money too, Chris. A lot of people say that the musicians are having a harder time making money than they used to. And they are. The music business is going down because uh, you can get free music on the Internet. But uh, last year, some people in this church, hmm? Yeah, I got a CD in here somewhere. Here it is. Yeah, help me out. When you're old, the key to success is hire younger minds. Keep young people around you. <laughs> There's a CD out there. Some of you got back in Christmas when I spoke. Uh, if you didn't get it before, pick it up. Uh, the Vespers, I think, are members of this church. There they are. Let's give it up for them. They gave us a song last year. <clears throat> On this CD, it was sold on, on our website. It was sold at concerts and raised money to help kids at risk in Africa. And by God's grace, as we realized this year that there was a couple hundred kids we couldn't provide support for, I was sitting around with some friends of mine, and one of them is also a member of the church here, David Mullen, and Nicole said she'd give a song, and then uh, somebody else goes to church here, Toby Max said he'd give a song. Next thing you know, we had an amazing list and now we've got a deal with Family Christian to distribute these albums next year, and all, 100% of the proceeds will go to help kids in Africa. The Lord's a provider, but we gotta go out there and get close to the poor, and here's my final challenge. I was in a good Bible preaching church like this for a long time before I did anything really significant in ministry. I worked with the youth. I went to church. I sang in the choir. 
And then a missionary, and let me tell you, missionaries can mess you up. This missionary told me, y'all to pick up the Bible and see what it says about the poor, the spiritually poor and the materially poor. And that's my challenge to you, is to do that this year. Start reading those Bible verses. There's 800 of them. And I got stuck on Matthew 25 when Jesus said, if you want to minister to me, and isn't that what we want to do? You'll minister to the least of the brothers. And he tells exactly who they are, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the strangers, the sick, and those in prison. And I was not in an intentional relationship with anybody in any of those six groups. And I said, Father, forgive me. I'm just a church boy. I'm not really serving you. So get out. Pray for and make friends with somebody of another faith. Pray for the Muslims. I'll send you this book online. And finally, let me just read you this challenge. This comes from Ralph Winter. Most of you not old enough to remember him. Maybe some of you have heard of John Piper. John Piper's quoted Ralph Winter in three different books, this very same quote. Ralph Winter started something called the U.S. Center for World Missions. And here's what he says should be our mentality. The Queen Mary, lying in repose in the harbor at Long Beach, California, is a fascinating museum of the past. Used as a luxury liner in peacetime and a troop transport during the Second War, it presents its present status as a museum. Now, he says this museum presents a contrast between a wartime and a peacetime mentality. This boat's been used both ways. I've been used both ways. It's the length of three football fields. On one side of a partition, you see the dining room reconstructed to depict the peacetime table setting that was appropriate to the wealthy patrons of high culture for whom a dazzling array of knives and forks and spoons held no mysteries. They knew how to use all that stuff, and they were used to it, and they expected it, and they felt they were entitled to it. On the other side of the partition were the evidences of a wartime Austerity, a sharp contrast, one metal tray with indentations, replaces 15 plates and saucers. Bunks, not just double, but eight high, explain why the peacetime complement of 3,000 people on this boat gave way to 15,000 people on board in wartime. How repugnant to the peacetime masters this transformation must have been. It took a national emergency, of course, to make that change. The survival of a nation depended on it. And I'm here to say today, the essence of the Great Commission today and the survival of many millions of people depends on our role in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I'm challenging you to a wartime mentality. Amen. I want to pray for you. Father, your word says you gave some to be pastors and teachers, and apostles, prophets. You gave some to be evangelists, some to be missionaries. Thank you, Lord, for 
what you put in this man and his family to serve you. The gifts and the callings, which are irrevocable, they come from you, and we give you glory. There's, this man would not want anyone to laud him or to applaud his family as they walk in the path that you have for them. But because we're family, because we're the body of Christ, because this is his church, we stand with him and we are encouraged by the fruit and the work that is going on. Yet we're also challenged by the loving truth that was just communicated to us that there is so much more that we can do and be about. Arrest us, Lord God, with your purpose and your plan. Deliver us from ease and worldly tranquility when you have called us to serve the poor, to serve the last, to serve the least, to serve the lost. Put a revival of fire in this church where we are missions minded, not only globally, missions active globally, but also here locally. Somebody needs you, Jesus. Somebody needs a touch. Somebody needs to hear your word. They need to be clothed. They need medical care. They need your love. They need transportation. They need a place to stay. There are so many ways that we can serve. So shake us. May we never be settled just sitting in thinking that it's about us and wanting a comfortable, comfortable cross to carry. May it never be for this church and those who are a part of it. And finally, Lord, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring good tidings. Thank you for the Warren family. Would you bless them in their going out as much as you bless them in their coming in? Would you cover them? Would you meet their every need? Would your angels encamp round about them? Because we know, Lord, that as they speak the truth, we know that they will be terrorized by the enemy. We know that they have been, but you have been their shield. You have been their protector. They have not turned back. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would invigorate them with the calling that you've put on them, that they would not grow weary in well-doing, but they would press each son, uh, Mary, that they would press towards what you have for them. And what an honor and what a privilege for this church to be able to touch holy things like the work that is going on in Nairobi. Bless them, we pray. We look forward to seeing how you're going to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Amen. Amen. All right. It's wartime. It's wartime. Always has been and always will be. And it's war for our students as you prepare to go back to school. Our schools are war zones. Maybe not like the schools in the two-thirds world, but nevertheless, our schools are war zones where there's a lot of temptation. There are a lot of trials and tests. Uh, there's a lot of pressure for our young people to conform. So for the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about Daniel and his friends to encourage our young people and even our people of all ages that the world has a plan and it's specific, it's intentional, and that is to program us or to reprogram us that we may conform to it and be squoze into its mold. But as we see in the book of Daniel, that there was a remnant of people who said that they're not giving in to the king of Babylon's plan. 
And they stood. And so we've been seeing these themes of resisting the pressure. And it is possible. It is possible. We don't have to give in to fear. We don't have to give in. As a matter of fact, we can stand. And today, um, I could say this message in 15 minutes. I don't even have to open my Bible because I asked the students to read up last week. When I called them up here, I asked them to read up into Daniel chapter 3. So what I'm about to say to them is simply review. All right, so here's the word of God today. What it means to stand, because he's called us to stand and having done everything to stand, stand. Why? Because the world was telling those young people to bow, to worship the gods that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped and to bow down before the image that he had set up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, they're not going to bow. And they told this king that to his face. These young people had conviction. And conviction comes from spending time with God and time in God's word where you know his voice and you know his word and it supersedes and overrules the words and the voices that are in the world. So somewhere along the line, Daniel's parents, probably in their churches, children's ministry and at home, those young men learned the word of God and the word of God got in them and convictions were produced so that when they went out into the world, they stood. But a lot of us as adults, yet alone as children, we don't spend enough time with God to know what he requires. We don't spend enough time with God to know what he has said. We don't spend enough time with God to know his will. So we wonder why we keep falling, why we keep bowing down, why we keep giving in. But these young men, they set a precedence for us. There was conviction in their soul. And the fear of the Lord was greater than their fear of man. So they say in chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to bow down to your image. Here's another theme we've been seeing young men sticking together, that we need a community. That's why we come to church. We need encouragement. You heard something today about what God is doing in Larry's life and in his ministry and in the Christians that are coming to faith in Nairobi. And it strengthened you. You've been challenged. We, We all need this. Those guys had it. If you try to stand alone, you won't stand long. If you tr- because Jesus didn't build you to be a lone ranger. He built you for community, first with himself and then with one another. But if you try to do it alone, coming to church is not enough. You need a yoke fellow. You need somebody to help bear your burdens and someone to confess your stuff to and vice versa. You need somebody to intercede for you. We got to get real. We got to go deeper. We got to get beyond the surface. We got to go deeper. These boys had a deep relationship. And so when you make a stand, Jesus will allow the fire to come because they were cast into the fiery furnace. And when you make a stand, there will be fire. There will be persecution. Now, the level of persecution that we experience is not the same level of persecution in the two thirds world. Nevertheless, it's still persecution because the way things are going today and it's going to get worse before it gets better. It gets better when Christ comes, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. Kids are bringing guns to school and all kinds of things are going on. So you just never know. It's tough out here. 
Even here in America, there's fire. There's fire. When you say, I'm going to stand for Jesus, and you say, man, you know what? I don't use that kind of language. Expect the fire. When you make that stand and say, I don't do those dances, expect the fire. When you say, man, you know what? I don't listen to that kind of music. Expect the fire. When you say, I'm not having sex until I get married, expect the fire. When you say that I believe that marriage is only for a man and a woman and that homosexuality is a sin, expect the fire. Expect the fire. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. So when we stand for the Lord, there will be persecution. Because if he was persecuted, his followers will be persecuted. We are in the world, but not of it. The world loves its own. Therefore, it doesn't love us. And we should stop trying to get its love. The Bible says that if you desire to live godly in Christ, you will be persecuted. Christianity is a contact faith. You know, football, I grew up playing football. You can't play football without contact. You can't play hockey without contact. There are contact sports. Christianity, at least the way it's supposed to be lived, it's a contact faith. But we don't want to get hit. We don't want to go through anything. No, no, no. Expect the adversity. The Bible says even over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, when Peter was even thinking about this story in Daniel chapter 3, he said, don't think it's strange about the fiery trial that's going to come upon you as if something strange were happening to you. But he goes on to say, but rejoice that you get to partake in the sufferings of Christ. Paul said it's been granted to us not just to believe on Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. They're suffering, young people. You won't be invited to certain cliques and crowds. Good. They'll call your names. Good. They'll dog you out. Good. They'll pick fights with you. Good. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. But as they do that, though, there will be some who will quietly respect you. They may not come up to you right away, but they may come to you at night like Nicodemus did. And can we talk? Can you pray for my grandmother? Can, can because you'll sprinkle your salt, you'll sprinkle your light while you're making your stand. But Jesus allows the fire because the fire has a way of melting and molding and, and shaping us into an image that he wants. He uses the fire to purge. He uses the fire because he wants the fire to make us more like him. And when a blacksmith works with fire and he is pounding the metal and putting it into the fire and pounding the metal. He knows that what he's working on is done as far as steel when he looks at the steel and sees his reflection in the steel. But that steel can't get to become a sword unless it goes through some fire. And if we don't go through fire, our faith can't be turned into gold. God allows the fire. Jesus allows the fire. He allowed those four Hebrew boys to go in the fire. He could have stopped the fire, but he let them go into the fire. He could have stopped your trial, your test, your circumstance, your situation, but he let you go through it. Why? Because he's going to join you in the fire. That's what the Bible says. When Nebuchadnezzar put him in, there were three guys who went in. The fire was so intense, the furnace was heated up seven times hotter. It even burned up his prime soldiers as they were escorting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. The fire was so strong, it burned up the escorts. 
The Bible says they were bound up. They bound them up, threw them into the fire, and they fell down. Now, here's the thing about fires. We're going to go through fires because we're Christian. But sometimes, and we're Christians who are attempting, attempting by God's strength and his grace to live for him. But sometimes we go through fires because we start them ourselves. Some of us are in fires right now financially because we started that fire. Some of us are in relational fires because we started that fire. Some of us are in all kinds of health fires because we started the fires. The body of Christ, unfortunately, has a bunch of spiritual pyromaniacs and arsonists running around. We start the fire, match in one hand, lighter fluid in the other, and we got the nerve to say we don't know how that fire got started in our marriage. But we got to take responsibility. I started that fire. And here's the goodness and the grace of our God. Even if you come into a fire because you're standing for, per for righteousness and you're persecuted or you're in a fire because you've been making bad decisions, the Lord Jesus will still join you in the fire. Whether you're in the fire because of righteousness or you're in the fire because of bad choices, why? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I'm a very present help in your time of trouble, even if you started the trouble yourself. That's our God. He'll join you in your fire. As a matter of fact... You really can't know him apart from the fire. Paul said, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way. He said, in times of prosperity, God can be heard. And that's a blessing. But in times of adversity, God can be seen. And that's an even greater blessing. You see, hearing God is one thing, but you see him when you're suffering. And we want to see God, but we don't want to suffer. But if you're going to see him join you in the fire, you're going to go through. We don't want to go through, but you got to go through to grow. And sometimes we're going through because we're standing. Sometimes we go through because we have fallen. But we're going through fire, and Jesus will meet us in the fire. That's good news today. You are not alone. You're not by yourself. He's with And those Hebrew boys, they went in bound. Nebuchadnezzar grabbed his bifocals and said, wait a minute, we put three in there. But right now, I see four. We put three in there, bound, but now I see four, and they're walking around and talking in the fire. And the fourth one looks like an angel. He looks like the Son of God. There's something majestic about his posture. There's something divine about the way he is carrying himself in that fire. And those three young men experienced the Lord like they never would have outside of that furnace. But they got to know him in that furnace. Don't waste the fire. Don't waste this trial. Lean into Jesus. Look for he's in the fire. Isaiah 41, though you pass through the fire, I'll be with you. He's with us. He's that friend that sticks closer. Find him in the fire right now. And you know what? There may be one young person right now. You may feel, man, oh my, at my school, I don't know any other Christians. I'm trying to do this thing, trying to live for God. But I'm in the fire, man. They're dogging me out. I'm struggling, Lord, to keep my strength. But I want to encourage that young person who feels alone. You are not alone. 
because God is with you. And greater is he that is in you than the fire that is in the world. So although you're by yourself, if I grab my spectacles, I don't see one student making a stand at Ravenwood or Brentwood or Franklin High or Brentwood Academy. You name the place. I don't just see one student, but when I put on my spiritual binoculars, I see two people standing. And the one with you is glorious. The one with you is mighty and strong in battle. God in one person is a majority. Either this stuff is true or it's not. And by faith, I believe that it's true. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he joined them in their fire, he'll join you in yours. You are not alone. Wait a minute. I see two people in the fire. I see a husband and a wife in the fire. They're struggling. They went in bound, struggling. Wait a minute. Oh, I see three people. Get my glasses. It's the husband, the wife, and Jesus. And, and, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And God's going to use the fire to get that husband closer to Jesus, to get that wife closer to Jesus. So when they come out of that fire, the fire did not destroy their marriage, but it burned the bonds and the chains that they had when they went into that fire. They met Jesus in the fire and they came out and their marriage is different now. I still believe that that can happen. I believe this. Oh, man. And when they came out, because Jesus will not only allow the fire, he'll join you in the fire, but, man, he'll bring you out that fire, young people. This, too, will pass. You'll make it. You don't have to give in or give up. You can make it. He will bring you out. And when he brings you out, Nebuchadnezzar and his companions and the people of the world, they are amazed as they look at you, that your hair has not been singed, your clothes has not been burned, you don't even smell like fire. And they give glory to your God who kept you. Oh, yeah, he'll bring you through this. He'll bring you out. Don't you be afraid of this next school year. Let's be aggressive. Let's be intentional. Make your stand for God. And as you make your stand, expect the fire. Mm -hmm. But you know what? The fire and the trouble don't last always. Why? Jesus is going to join you in that fire. He's going to bring you out of that fire to a testimony that gives him glory, honor, and praise. Try him in that. Just don't bow down like everybody else, afraid of conflict, afraid of persecution, afraid of being teased. Because, man, if we're going to be that afraid of what's going on over here, we do need to take more missions trips where the Holy Spirit comes upon us in boldness. Because when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he ain't coming upon you just so you can have some experience with the Holy Ghost and start speaking in tongues and this wonderful worship experience or you get the Holy Ghost and now you've got visions and understand. No, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you that you may be witnesses for me. I can't witness without him, but with him, oh yes. Because the power is not from me, it's from God. And I need your Holy Spirit to stand, be a witness, and testify about the goodness of Jesus, whether I open my mouth or not, because I'm living for him with my life. Yes, it's, it can be done, and it is being done. 
not only by teenagers, but by adults as well. Everybody's not bowing down. Everybody's not giving in. Everybody's not giving up. And even if you have fallen, good news, a just man may fall seven times, but the Lord will lift him back up again so that he, she might stand again and having done all to stand. So we're starting, we're ending right where we started, standing for God, standing for the Lord. Don't bow. Don't give in. Don't be seduced. Don't be tricked. Stand. And having done everything to stand. You know, when I was a boy, my parents got me this goofy present. It was a punching bag. This one of them ones that stayed on the floor. Had a round base, and it had a smiley face on it. You see up there, got Bozo the Clown, got some goofy elephant. And the way those things were designed is that you can't knock them over. You punch them, you beat them, you kick them, you can throw them around the room, but no matter what happens, that thing is going to end up standing upright. I would kick it, beat it, everything, and it would go from this side and that side and this side and that side, but eventually it would come back upright again. And the only reason it could do that was because of what was in it, what was in its base. It was designed to stand up, even though it got knocked all over the place. It was designed to stand because there was a weight in its base that kept it balanced, that kept it up. You will get hit. I will get hit. I do get hit. You do get hit. We get thrown around. We get tossed. We get punched. But there's a base in us. That, that there's some power in us that, that we sang about it this morning that can't succumb to the grave. It must get up. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. He's standing in me. The power to stand is not from me. The power to stand is from him. He stands in me. And so you may hit me and I'll go this way, but I'm coming back up because of the power of the Holy Spirit. When you tell me to bow, I may be tempted, but I'm not giving in. Why? Because the spirit in me is greater than that junk that's in the world. So even when I get tired of fighting, Lord, fight in me, fight through me, fight for me, deliver me from the evil one, strengthen me. We heard a missionary say today that he's tired. Lord, give him strength. Give us all strength because, Lord, we can't be faithful witnesses if we keep bowing down every day. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm standing for you. I'm standing for you. I'm standing for you. I'm standing for you. And when I look around, I see that I'm not standing by myself. Daniel said, to my right, I got Shadrach. To my left, I got Meshach. Behind me, I got Abednego. Who you got? Who's standing with you? If we got any believers and lovers of Jesus who need his strength, who understand they need his grace, who are convicted in their soul to stand for God, not just in here, but also out there. I don't care how old you are, what age, 9 to 90, I'm convinced and convicted. I'm going to stand for Jesus, even if it means fire. I'm going to stand for Jesus. Even if it means I get fired, I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for Jesus. Would you stand right now as a sign of your faith? Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. Let's do it. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. We mean this. A warrior's mentality. This ain't peacetime. It's war. Let's do it, Strong Tower. There's an assignment that he's uniquely given us as we grow in upreach, inreach, and outreach.
we'll have a final stanza, and Sister Kyla will close us. You're going to close us in prayer. We've got a final stanza. All right. Do what you got to do. Y'all remember all the announcements. Get on the website. song that just came to mind as Kyla comes up is just uh, something that I heard a long time ago. What do you do when you've done all you can? Seems like it's never enough. And what do you say when your friends turn away? You're alone.